Our speaker for uh, this session is Parker LaGrange. Parker is a youth minister or student minister at the Southwest Congregation in Oklahoma City. And uh, Parker is a graduate of a school and has been in uh, full-time ministry here for, is it six years? Five. Five years. Um, but all that aside, Parker is one of my favorite people. You may not even know that, but you are. Um, he has got a huge heart. And his passion, not only for uh, ministry, but for youth, is one that is incredible. And it's infectious. And everything that he says you can know is coming from a, a, pay, a place that, first of all, loves God, but loves you. So I hope you will really open up your heart, listen to what Parker has to say uh, to us this uh, afternoon, and uh, you will certainly be better for it. Brother, come preach word to us. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Hey, look, it is 3 o'clock. It is the last session of the afternoon. You are hungry, <laughs> and you are tired, and you're ready to get out of here. Um, I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to get out of here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited for this opportunity. I'm thankful that you're here. It's college football Saturday. You could be doing anything else right now, and you chose to be here, and I, I love you for that. I'm thankful for that. I used to stand up in this uh, pulpit as a student of Bear Valley, and before I got up here, I'd just be like this. And I was like, I'm just so glad it's not going to feel that way this time when I'm back. And earlier, I'm sitting up there just shaking. And I'm like, but it's teenagers, and honestly, that's scarier to preach to than a room full of adults because you're judgmental. I get it. I was judgmental too. But hey, I want to I wanna tell you about a story of when I was your age. Um, I was standing in the front yard with a few of my friends. In one hand was a spoonful of cinnamon, and in another was a camera to record everything that was about to unfold in that front yard. You might think, now what in the world are you talking about? Well, fast forward earlier, Flash back a little bit earlier in that day, and my friend comes up to me. He's like, dude, I watched this YouTube video last night. It's called the Cinnamon Challenge, and we're doing it today after school at your house. I was like, what is the Cinnamon Challenge? And he played me this video. Oh, it's not showing. All here. right, so here's the cinnamon. All right? All right, here it goes. Okay, so here's, here's the point of the cinnamon challenge. Uh, you are to get a spoonful of cinnamon and you are to hold it in your mouth for 10 seconds or you are to swallow it. Um, and the challenge of the cinnamon challenge is that you can't do that. Uh, because cinnamon actually pulls all the moisture out of your mouth and causes that effect that you just saw in the video. So I have this spoon and he's recording me and I, I put it up to my mouth, I shoot my head back and I take the cinnamon. Two seconds in, this huge cloud of cinnamon. And all I could think to myself is, why did I just do that? And then, after watching me do it, two of my friends go on to do it and I film them. And again, I just say, why did we just do it? And it's all because he watched a YouTube video of Flozell doing the cinnamon challenge. I think another reason why we did it is because we knew we weren't the only one that were doing the challenge. You look at that video now, 54 million views. I got to imagine out of those 54 million views of watching her do the cinnamon challenge, people thought like my friend Denton, 
we need to do this as well because I bet we can beat it. Influence. As I look around, some of you are wearing very stylish shoes. Some of you are wearing very nice outfits. Some of you have some cool cups. Some of you have some nice bags. You probably have those things because someone on social media at some point has told you, you need to get these things. If you need to get this cup, you need to get this crossbody bag, you need to wear this brand, you need to get these shoes. And you were influenced to buy those things. Or maybe someone who you're easily influenced by had a conversation with you and said, hey, you need to get this. And if you don't get this, you're literally so lame. And so (laughs) you were influenced by them and you got those specific products, whatever that might have been. For example, you might drink your water out of a hydro flask or a Stanley cup because someone has influenced you to believe that you will die of dehydration if you don't drink water from one of those cups. Uh, Some of you might wear the, I call them loosely, uh, shoes called Crocs. Um, You might wear Crocs because someone has influenced you to believe that they are the comfiest shoe out there. And that that if you don't wear Crocs, you're not living life the way life was intended to be lived. Uh, You might be convinced that you cannot function unless you get your large dragon lizard blood decaf with three scoops of vanilla and one and a half scoop of banana with a pump of strawberry and a pump of cream on top that costs you $18. Now, I made that drink up, but it would not surprise me if there was a drink at Dutch Rose or Starbucks that was called something like that. Because some lady on TikTok or Instagram told you, this is the drink that you need to get. Influence. Right? So some of us might be convinced that we truly cannot live life the way life was intended to be lived unless we have some of these things. Because that's the influence that we're being fed. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that any of us are wrong for buying into that influence and buying those products that are being told that we need to buy. I'm simply bringing this out to show us how influential our culture is and how easily we are influenced by people. So there's kind of one idea of influence. Now, there's another trend that's been going around for a few months now called de-influencing. And this de-influencing movement is led by a large group of normal people who bought these products that were being influenced to buy. And they are making this mission statement of, of telling you that you don't actually need to have these specific products. They, they can be cool to have, but you can live life the way life was intended to be lived without having some of these things. For example, they would seek out in this de-influencing movement to tell you that you don't have to drink water from a Stanley cup or a hydro flask. Like just drink water. <laughs> you can drink water from any cup. That'll cure your dehydration. Or they might go out on a mission and say, like, sure, Crocs might be comfortable, but have you seen them? Right? There, there are other comfortable shoes that you can wear besides Crocs. So influence, de-influence. I want us to keep those two movements in mind as we get into uh, our time together this afternoon. As you can tell from the screen, uh, my lesson is titled, The Influencer's Influence. If you are on social media, in any realm of social media, you probably have a pretty good understanding of what an influencer is. Uh, There's a guy who I went to school with in the back. His wife is a social media influencer. 
Raise your hand if you've ever gotten messages from an influencer. And I say messages like 300 messages from an influencer. They are all about trying to get you to buy their product. Uh, an influencer in our culture right now, specifically in the realm of social media, is defined as someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with his or her audience. It's important to note that these individuals are not merely marketing tools, rather they are social relationship assets with which brands can collaborate to achieve their marketing objectives. And so for the sake of our time together, I want us to think of a man in the scripture as an influencer. Uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 this afternoon. But as, before we do that, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul as an influencer. Because Paul in many ways is an influencer who is trying to get people to buy into something that he is passionate about and believes that everyone should possess. And that is a relationship with King Jesus. Because Paul at one point in his life did not believe that. Paul would never have collaborated with Jesus because he actually walked as an enemy of Jesus. You, you can read about his former life away from Jesus. He persecuted the church of Jesus. Now here is this apostle Paul that has been called out of his former life to walk this new life with which he, he dives deeply into it. And if we can borrow from our illustration, Paul is not merely a marketing tool for Jesus. He's working as a collaborator to achieve their marketing objectives. And the reason he's willing to collaborate with Jesus is because he's passionate about what he's selling. And in this text, in Philippians chapter 3, he's specifically trying to sell this to his followers. Spiritual, every time I transition it goes away. That's super strange. Huh. Okay, we'll just not worry about the PowerPoint. Spiritual maturity. Now, when you hear maturity, we are not talking about your squeaky voices uh, or the awkward uh, voice cracks that some of you are experiencing right now or the awkward growth spurts that you experience overnight. Uh, we're talking about a spiritual maturing process that Paul wants us as followers of Jesus to experience. Because the reality is, is that God expects us to mature spiritually. He, he does not intend for us to stay spiritual children forever. He expects us to grow. So with that being said, we are going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21 together. We're going to let one of the greatest influencers that the, there's ever been give us a pitch as to why we should pursue spiritual maturity. So here's how we're going to break down this uh, time together if you're taking notes. Number one, we're going to consider the mindset of a spiritually mature Christian from verses 15 and 16 of chapter 3. We're going to look at the call to imitate spiritually mature Christians in verse 17. We're going to look at the dangers of not imitating spiritually mature Christians in verses 18 and 19. And then in verse 20 and 21, we're going to look at the motivation for pursuing spiritual maturity. So starting with this mindset, the first part in verse 15 and 16, the mindset of a spiritually mature Christian. Paul says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul says, if you desire to be a spiritually mature Christian, he says you have to lead your mind to think in a specific way. If you notice in your text, it says, let us think this way. Now, sometimes when you read that in the scriptures, that means this way is either going to come in the verses to follow or that has already happened in the verses before. And in this section, he's already told us what the spiritually mature person thinks, how they think. And it's from the few verses before. If you look at verses 12 and 14, he shares with us the mindset of a spiritually mature Christian. He says in verse 12 through 14, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is the mindset of a, a spiritually mature Christian. Someone that recognizes that I have not made it yet. There is so much danger when you think, I've made it. Paul says the spiritually mature doesn't think that way. He recognizes that he's not there yet, that there's room to go. Uh, the, The spiritually mature Christian does not look at what's happened in the past and and hold on to that and and dwell on that. He says, I forget what lies behind and and I push on. I press on toward the goal that's in front of me. A, A spiritually mature person does not have the mindset of, I'm just so glad that I'm just so righteous. I'm so glad that I just have it all together. Rather, a spiritually mature Christian recognizes where they've been and knows that there is so much more room to grow. That there are always going to be areas in their life in which they know they could be better in. You know, for me, I've been a Christian for a relatively short amount of time. When I look back at at my spiritual immaturity and the idiotic things that I've done as I claim to be a Christian, it, it is so easy for me to look back at what I've done and, and feel incredible discouragement and, and depression, honestly. But what Paul is encouraging the mature Christian to do is say, there is nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it at this point. It is out of your control. You don't have a say in it. But what we do have a say in is how we move forward. We do have a say in how we press on toward the goal. Not only does the mature person know that there's room to grow, the spiritually mature person is able to take these accomplishments that they've accomplished in their life and put them behind them and keep moving forward, wanting to be better today than they were yesterday. You know, if there was anyone that was able to stop and dwell on all of the accomplishments and pedigree, it was Paul. If you actually look at the beginning of this chapter, he shares with us, his accomplishments, his pedigree, a Hebrew a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of, of the, the nation of Israel. But look at what he says in verse 7. After he lists all those things out, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as what? Those things I count as loss 
for the sake of Christ. The spiritually mature Christian is always looking for ways in which they can develop their character to be less like self, to take the eyes off of self, and to put the eyes on Jesus. It's the person that digs in the scriptures daily to see how they could be better in these different areas in their life. They're asking the question of, how can I be more loving? How can I be more kind? How can I be more patient? How can I be more like Jesus in all that I do? They're not satisfied, and they want to be more for Jesus and for His kingdom. However, in in contrast to the spiritually mature Christian is the spiritually immature Christian, who if we were to counter everything we just talked about with the spiritually mature, the spiritually immature would be the ones that are never passionate in their walk with the Lord. They're not interested in being more like Jesus. They're okay with letting others look at them and seeing them. They'll dwell on the past and they'll let it haunt them, or they might dwell on their past and act as if they're still living in the glory days. These are the people that are fine with walking into a church building every Sunday and riding that pew to heaven, as in the words of Jacob Rutledge. I'll never forget that quote. It's so funny to me. And this latter mindset is what Paul is trying to help us avoid. This is the mindset of a spiritually mature Christian. But number two, as we continue in our text in verse 17, he gives us this call to imitate spiritually mature Christians. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So here is Paul, the influencer, calling us to imitate him and those who walk similarly to him. Now, when I hear that word imitate, I think about me and my sister when we were a lot younger. And she drove me crazy because when her and I would get in a fight, have you ever been with someone where they they imitate your every move? Or they imitate your every word when they're trying to annoy you? You're like, I know you are. And I know you are. And you're like, stop doing, stop doing that. And it drives me crazy. It's this idea of becoming a replica of something or someone. Now, when you think of an influencer, specifically in the realm of social media, what is their job? Their job is to get you to wear the shoes that they wear. Their job is to get you to wear the makeup that they wear. Their job is to get you to drink from the cup that they drink from. Their job is to get you to do the same nightly skincare routine that they do. In a sense, their job is to create replicas of themselves all throughout the world. And in a way, they are trying to create people in their own image or their brand's own image. And so when Paul says, I want you to imitate me, I want you to keep your eyes on me, he's not asking us to do something that we don't already know how to do. He's not asking us to do something that we don't already do. He's simply asking us to change who we imitate. He's asking us to change who we keep our eyes on. I want you to imitate me. I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to be influenced by me. I want you to imitate those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, I imagine that there is some pretty solid application in there for us, especially when it comes to us teenagers. 
Uh, it's often done on social media where influencers will collaborate with each other and, and they'll send you in the direction of someone else who they trust. And I kind of feel like this is what Paul is doing in a way. Paul is wanting nothing more than for us to look out where we are, to look out at our congregations, to look out when we're at youth rallies, to look out when we're at church camps, and to pay attention to the Christians that you're surrounded by. To, to watch the way these people talk, to watch the way these people post on social media, to watch the way you can see the fruits of their spirit in their lives. And then he says, I want you to imitate them if they've proven to be fruitful and mature. Now, we also need to understand that those people that we should be imitating and following after might not be the cool guy that the world loves. It might be the guy at your congregation that wears the socks and sandals. It might be the lady who doesn't wear makeup and doesn't do a nightly skincare routine. But the reason you're following them and imitating them is not because of how they look physically. It's how they walk spiritually. You see the way they pour into the kingdom. You see the way they love the Lord and the people He created. You see the way they set their mind on heavenly things. You see the way they treat their family. You see the way they're dissatisfied with their current state of spirituality and they keep wanting to grow. Paul says, I want you to find those people and I want you to imitate them. I want you to keep your eyes on them. I want you to be influenced by them because they have been influenced by me and they have been influenced by Jesus. And imagine the chain reaction that would occur if we really answered this call to imitate spiritually mature Christians. Then he moves on in verses 18 and 19. And he shares the dangers of not imitating spiritually mature Christians. He says here in verse 18 and 19, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of, cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. What, what a sad reality that Paul finds himself in having to write about these enemies uh, of the cross who used to be his brothers and sisters. And I find it interesting that he doesn't call them enemies of Christ. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. And I was wondering why that is. And this might be completely wrong. I don't know. But I think it's because when you think about the cross, the cross equals sacrifice. The cross equals death to our desires. The cross means death to our passions. The cross means the giving up of ourselves. And it's apparent that these spiritually immature friends that Paul is writing about stand as enemies against that sacrifice and they can't bring themselves to that level of sacrifice. And I wonder where that downward slope began for these enemies, for these people who once were brothers and sisters of Paul. I think Paul indicates a few things throughout this passage as to how it happened. But I believe a key factor in their downward slope is that they thought that they could multitask. They thought, I can listen to the influence of the Christian, but I can also listen to the influence of the world. 
And you don't need to worry about me. I'll never fall away from Jesus. I'll never fall away from the church. I can, I can handle both of those. And now they find themselves fallen so in love with themselves and so in love with the world that they now walk, as Paul says, as enemies of the cross of Christ. And guys, that is exactly what our enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think that you can multitask. He wants you to think that you can live a double life. He wants you to think that you can be one person on Sundays and Wednesdays and another person on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and that you're totally fine. You're definitely a Christian because you take communion every Sunday, so you're good. That's what he wants you to think. He wants you to believe that you can be faithful while also listening to the influence of the world. And the hard part about this is that this is the lifestyle that is being pushed on us every single day. Whether it's at school or social media or TV, they push hard. And what Paul does is he brings out uh, with, with hopes that we will begin to de-influence this type of lifestyle. If you notice a few things he says about these enemies of the cross of Christ, he, he shares with us their lifestyle and, and what the lifestyle as an enemy of the cross looks like. He says, number one, their God is their belly. It's this idea that these people praise and worship pleasure. Their entire life revolves around pursuing pleasure. When you think about self-control, it's absent in their life. It's non-existent in this lifestyle. Whereas pleasure and comfort is at the very core of their character. To them, it doesn't matter if what they're pursuing is sinful or not. If it makes you feel good, do it. Drink the drinks, smoke the goods, indulge in in whatever it is. If it makes you feel good, do it. Because you were created to feel good. They walk as enemies of the cross because they praise pleasure. But then he says that these people glory in their shame. They have it all backwards. They have the wrong perspective. It's these types of people that that joke and brag about things that they should be embarrassed about. They joke and they brag about sinful things. They they brag about the ways they've exposed people. They brag about how much alcohol they can get into their system. They brag about how much they've lied and deceived to get ahead. And Paul says if you brag about your past or your current sinful activity, you're spiritually immature and you walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. But then number three, he says, they have their mindset on earthly things. It's this mindset of they pursue that which is fleeting. They pursue the passing. It's this idea of constantly thinking about the here and the now. And so all of their decisions, all of their time, and all of their priorities are focused on what's happening right now. And so all of their decisions are based off of fear and not by faith. And Paul says, if as a Christian, you find yourself having your hopes and your dreams and they're tied up in this present life, whether it's riches or success or relationships or hobbies and all of your money and time and resources go into filling that aspect of your life, he says you're spiritually immature and you walk as an enemy of the cross. 
So this is how the spiritually immature thinks. They are constantly pursuing the passing. They have it backwards. They praise pleasure. And Paul says this is the lifestyle that needs to be de-influenced. And the reason he says this needs to be de-influenced is because he knows where it's leading them. Look at that verse again. Their end is destruction. And in pursuing this type of stuff, it's so ironic because you think you're thriving. You think you're living the life. You think all is good in my life. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I'm content. And what you've done is you've dug this deep, 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 deep hole. And you find yourself standing at the bottom of this pit with nothing but darkness around you. And you look up and you ask yourself, how did I get here? And Satan loves that you find yourself at the bottom of that pit. So listen to the influence of Paul and save yourself from being someone who walks as an enemy of the cross of Christ. He moves from the dangers of not imitating mature Christians to ending with the motivation for pursuing spiritual maturity in verse 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So in contrast to those who walk as enemies of the cross, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So as he he contrasts those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, he says the reward and the motivation for the Christian who pursues spiritual maturity is the redemption and the resurrection and the transformation of our bodies to be like Jesus' glorious body. And I, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what that will be like? That should be a lectureship lesson (laughs) next year. And in that moment when that happens, we will finally be brought to the intended end that God has for His people, which is to be truly transformed and conformed to the image of His Son. And is there any greater joy that we could ever experience than that? It's better than wearing the trendiest clothes. It's better than having the coolest hydro flask, even though I have the coolest, has the most character. It's cooler than having the most amount of social media followers in the room. It's better than anything that this world has to offer. And he chooses to use the transformation and the redemption and the resurrection of this body to be like Jesus' body as the sole motivation as to why we should pursue spiritual maturity. So, what can we do? Let's recap and let's apply all these things that we've talked about. What can we do? Number one, do not get complacent. Recognize that there is always more room for growth. As I look around, there are probably a lot of you who are just now starting your walk with Jesus, and that's wonderful. There are some of us in here who have been in our walk with Jesus for a long time, and that's wonderful. And the same message goes to you as it does for the younger Christian. Don't get complacent. Recognize that there is always room for more growth. Now, I do want to take a step back and say, it is okay for you to enjoy how far 
that you've come. And I actually recommend that we do that more because there is so much joy in progress. Uh, I love watching uh, transformation videos or transformation pictures of people who go to the gym. You know where they're, they take the picture of them when they were really fat and they're standing in this awkward position like this and then they post an after picture and they're still in the super awkward pose but now they're like way skinnier. There's so much joy in progress. And, and we, we focus on progress physically and we don't focus on progress spiritually and so we don't pursue progress because we don't ever track it. And so I, I challenge us to celebrate the victories that you experience in your pursuit of spiritual maturity. But be careful to not fall into the trap of thinking, well, I've made it. There's no more room for me to grow. Keep pushing. That's the mindset of the spiritually mature Christian. Number two, find some mature Christians that you can trust and then begin to imitate them. I think it would be wise over the next few months if you sought out five to seven individuals in your church that are spiritually mature Christians. And I challenge you to watch them. I challenge you to have conversations with them. I challenge you to keep your eyes on them and watch the way they treat their family. Watch the way they serve in the kingdom. Watch the way they treat their fellow brothers and sisters. Watch the way they treat the non-Christians and imitate them. And once you've done that, I, I want you to narrow it down to two or three that have really impressed you, that really stick out to you. And I say two to three because you're never going to find the perfect Christian. You're never going to find just one. And so as you find these two to three Christians, you might find a few attributes from this person that you like. You might find some from here and you might find some from here. And you take all of those and you, they help create this well-rounded version of yourself. And that's able to be accomplished because you've answered the call that Paul has given to imitate mature Christians. Number three, de-influence the lifestyle that draws you away from Jesus. I realize that a lot of you in here probably don't have social media because you're really young. Uh, I realize some of you probably do have social media, but maybe you're only limited to have uh, a few of the, the platforms. Let's be real. There is negative influence on every app that you turn to. But there could also be positive influence on every app you turn to because you brought it. And what that might mean is you getting on and calling out and de-influencing the lifestyle that leads to people becoming enemies of the cross of Christ. That takes a lot of boldness. That takes a lot of courage. But is that not what we are called to be as Christians? Those who are set apart. Those who are holy. And that's the danger of not imitating mature Christians. It's, it's avoiding that by being the one who de-influences that type of lifestyle. And number four and finally, remind yourself every day what you're living for. You know, I, I'm someone who is motivated by rewards. I kind of feel like I'm a dog in a sense. You know, my dog is not a good dog, but she loves a good treat. And she listens when I have a treat in front of her because it motivates her. She gets excited about something that is not in the ordinary. And when I think about myself, I've developed a motivation system for my life. And it's funny, and I'm not going to tell you what I do. But I remind myself every day that I'm working towards something that is so much bigger than myself. It might mean for you that you write it down. 
It, it might be for you that you pray it out loud every day. It, it might be for you that you set a reminder to go off on your phone at a certain point every day that reminds you that you are pursuing the transformation of your earthly body to be like Jesus' body. And in doing so, you are reminding yourself of the motivation that Paul gives to pursue spiritual maturity. It's been my prayer over the last several weeks. We wrote our manuscripts and had to turn them in back in April. It's been my prayer over the last few weeks that this lesson can influence you to seriously listen to the words of Paul the influencer. There's nothing easy about pursuing a life of spiritual maturity. But there is nothing more rewarding than the result of doing so. We will not accidentally stumble into a heavenly citizenship and be transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body. None of us can do that by accident. It will take effort. It will take devotion. It will take prayer. It will take patience. And most importantly, it takes grace from God. And thanks be to God that He is a gracious and loving God. I love you guys so much. Thank you for your time. Uh, do you want me to end with a prayer or you want to? Okay, cool. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you, Parker. Awesome stuff. Uh-